John 1 and verse 29 is our text. We have looked at the introduction to the book and we've looked at several parts of this chapter, but I want to look at just this verse, although it is repeated in a few verses, the same statement that John makes. John chapter 1 and verse 29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Let's repeat that together. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Our gracious Heavenly Father, help us to see, as we realize that these things can only be perceived by your Spirit. We have sung your praises. We have invited you by our prayers to minister to us. And once again, we ask that you open the Word of God. May the Spirit of God, who moved men of old to pen these words, be our teacher and guide. We know that what human reasoning or philosophies may say matters not at all. But in eternity, your word will stand. Your, your word says forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And as you've exalted it above your own name, this eternal word of God will be what we will stand before and the books will be opened. And I pray, Lord, that as... You have given us this precious opportunity to hear from your word, not because this vessel of clay is doing the speaking, but because any time your word is open, what a privilege it is, what an awesome responsibility it is. And so that's why we ask for your spirit to teach us. You said where you're gathered together, there I am in the midst of you, in a special teaching, instructing, convicting, regenerating way that only the Spirit of God can do. Not by power, man's power, or might, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Now bless us, we beg. Lord, we repeat that prayer so often because we stand in such need of your blessing. Yesterday's manna is gone. And today we need to be filled again. We ask you to do just that. In Jesus' precious name, amen. On two consecutive days, a delegation of religious authorities sent out from the temple in Jerusalem came to where John the Baptist was ministering. The first day they asked him, who are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you a prophet? I am not that prophet. If you're not Elijah, why are you doing what you're doing? John said, I am one sent to prepare the way of the Lord. John 1 verse 29 tells us the next day, after that questioning, after that delegation left, they came back. John sees Jesus coming. Some commentators say that this is the day after Jesus had ended his fasting, his 40-day fasting. And he comes to present himself after that preparation time. And he comes to John, and John sees him from afar and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Someone has said that this verse, this phrase, sums up the entire message of the Bible. Isaac asked his father when he was taken to Mount Moriah, in Genesis 22, verse 7, bearing the firewood and making ready for a sacrifice. And Isaac says, where is the lamb? 
His father assured his only begotten son, God will provide himself a lamb. Each of the gospel writers cry out, Behold the lamb. There he is. See him, he's the son of God. He's referred to as the lamb slain in the last book of the Bible more than any other title. The lamb was central to the sacrificial system. The Israelites were used and they were familiar with it referring to the supreme sacrifice that would come. Once a year, every family had to have a lamb at Passover commemorating Israel's redemption being brought out of bondage from Egypt. And all during the year, two lambs every day were offered on the altar at the temple. Added to this, lambs were brought at various times for personal reasons, for times of personal sin and revival and asking and seeking the Lord's face. But here we have a marked difference. In every other instance, the lamb would be brought... I want us to notice, first of all, we're just going to look at three simple things about the Lamb. First of all, I want us to see that the Lamb of God has come down to us. God has brought the Lamb to us. God is signifying through His messenger, John, that God has provided the sacrificial Lamb once and for all. The countless lambs brought by men over the years, the the Bible tells us, and the book of Hebrews especially tells us, could not and did not remove their sins, the fact of their sins or the guilt of their sins. And those lambs were for Israel alone. No other nation was instructed to bring such lambs. But notice John's declaration here. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of Israel alone. Oh no, no. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Those outside of Israel, we may enter in as well. Praise His name. The Lamb of God has come to us. We could not have brought so lavish a sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats would not suffice. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us. The Lamb has come down to us. Yes, indeed, God has provided Himself a Lamb. But I want you to notice also that Jesus is the Lamb that takes away our sin. The atonement He will make, did make, the sacrifice that He offers on our behalf will reconcile man to God. The major obstacle that stands between God and man is man's sin. But unless the Holy Spirit of God reveals to that one their sin, they forever don't even realize that they need to be reconciled to God. In fact, most people have convinced themselves, I'm all right the way that I am. As sinners born into a sinful world, we're enemies of God. We fall short of His perfection. We fall short of His righteousness, and so we're forced to make up our own system, our own value system, our own philosophy. We have to redefine righteousness because we fall so short of it. And so we reject, the Bible tells us in Romans 1, when God reveals Himself to us, we reject it and go about to establish our own righteousness. 
rejecting the Creator and His revelation to us. I've often used the illustration of that falling short. There's several words for sin in the Bible, and one is to fall short. One is to transgress. We cross over. The lines are drawn. God says, thou shalt not. And we, we go beyond the, the drawn line of God's will for us. That's transgression. But the falling short. Some may pride themselves, I don't transgress the law. Like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, who said, I've kept everything from my youth up. But just in case there's something I've missed, could you inform me? Or the publican at the temple as he sees a poor man beating his chest, saying, I'm so unworthy, save me. I thank you that I'm not like this man. Most of us fall in that category. But the falling short. You see, the falling short is we don't measure up. We cannot come near we were all standing on the brink of the Grand Canyon this morning. We all know there's no way we could bridge that gap. I mean, someone might be able to jump farther than the rest of us. I might jump farther than some of you people a little older than me. Some of these teenage boys who may be in track and field could, could standing broad jump farther than that, but I will tell you something with all assurity. Not one of us would bridge that gap on our own. Every single one of us, every one who's preparing for the Olympics just now, for the next round of Olympics, or the next track meet, they're going, every single one of them lined up, from the greatest to the least, would fall short. For the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God. And here's the word, who hath reconciled us to himself, how? How is it that we're reconciled to God who has reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation? That's what the gospel is. One dying sinner telling another dying sinner Jesus is the Savior. John himself who announced, Behold, the Lamb of God was a sinner who had been saved by grace telling another sinner it is no different than the the ocean liner sinking and someone running and saying the boat is sinking, but here's the way, here's the rescue. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing or putting on our account, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We all fall short. We need help. We need a Savior. And Jesus Christ is the Lamb which takes away our sin. Because we're born sinful and 
And then we sin literally and obviously after we're born, all of us fall short of God's glory, His perfection, His righteousness. And we need to be reconciled to Him. Romans 3, verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. That word is the same word as the mercy seat in the Old Testament. Through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission or for the sending away of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just, He never violates His righteousness, and the justifier of them which believeth in Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, the lot, the priest would would cast a lot, and the lot would fall on the goat that was to be offered for a sin offering. The other would have the hands of the priest would lay his hands on the, the other animal and in signifying that the guilt would be transferred. But the scapegoat was let off into the, the wilderness to die. The, the lot that fell on the goat that was to be offered for sin, sin offering was called the Lord's lot. Leviticus 16 verse 8, And Aaron shall cast lots upon two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat, which shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Jesus Christ was the Lord's lot, and he is called rightly the Lamb of God. John the Baptist was preparing the way. What are you doing? By what authority are you preaching? Why are these people coming to hear your message? And John said, I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight, clear the way for the coming of the Messiah. I am not He. I am simply a proclaimer, an announcer, a preparer pointing you to him. And so we all are preparers for the Lord. He's left us here to proclaim and to point and to show, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Isaiah, so beautifully, some refer to Isaiah as the fifth gospel. There's so much of the work of our Lord in his prophecy. In that favorite chapter, the 53rd chapter, we see that the, the, the Isaiah writes, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Oh, the work of our Savior. What was this 
preparatory work in John's day for his hearers. God the Father was about to literally fulfill through his Son what had, to be, had been foretold by countless prophets through the centuries. The taking away of the sin of the world. And he uses that very terminology, which taketh away. It's the word remission. It's the word remove. It's the word that's referred to as the scapegoat, to let let go, let free. John's preparation included repentance, calling people to turn from their sins in order to have remission of them. He shows them how this was to be done. What is the basis of this repentance? What is the basis of this remission? He tells them to repent and have your sins remitted. Who lets them go? Who clears the guilt? Who, Who clears the account? How is this going to be accomplished? And by whom would it be done? They'd heard it told over and over again. And they knew the blood of bulls and goats did not take it away. And now John appears mysteriously on the stage... People are drawn to him. He begins to tell them that the Savior is at hand. The one that, to whom all the, the prophets referred and all the sacrifices were a picture of. What would be the ground of hope that they would have that, our, that their sins would be forgiven when they repented of them? Repentance alone does not sin, sin away. This ground or basis for their hope And our hope is the person work of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. The writer of the Hebrews wanted his hearers to know this very carefully who are so caught up in the the sacrificial system. And he tells them in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 25, not yet that, nor yet that he should offer himself often. You see, they had to continually come. The bloods of bull and goats, those those was not a, a final sacrifice. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto man once to die. Oh, what sobering words. It is appointed unto man once to die. I have been at the bedside of countless people who have died. I never get used to it. I always think of this verse. I remember one day a, a woman called the office and asked me to go to University Hospital. She was a nurse, and the man who was dying asked for her. He was from another country, and he asked her to get him a preacher and he asked for a specific kind of preacher he told her I want someone who will tell me the truth and then he slipped into unconsciousness she called the office and the secretary said brother lamb I know this is strange but this lady has called and she listens to your preaching and she said this man had requested a visit and that I just feel like you're the one who needs to visit him It's always very intimidating when you walk into that place at that time. You never feel so unworthy or so useless and so uh, little and nothing as when you are standing between that person and eternity, as it were. There was no one there, no family 
anywhere around, and not even the, the nurse who called me was there. And as I entered the room with all the, the life support things, um, I spoke to him, and, and he didn't respond. And I thought, well, you know, this is useless. He, he's not, he's probably, he's already gone. But I knew I had to fulfill the, the woman's request. And my duty as one dying man to another dying man. And so I went and bent low right into his ear. And I told him of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there was a Savior who would save from sin. And finally just dawned on me, as I took him by the hand, I said, can you hear me? If you can hear me, would you please let me know? And he squeezed my hand. And I said, I I know that you cannot do anything. I I thought about the thief on the cross who could not do one thing but repent and believe who started out railing and cursing the Lord's name. Along the way, the Holy Spirit showed him that he was the Savior and that he was dying. His appointment was near. So I prayed in his ear and told him, you call on the name of the Lord in your heart, in your mind. He will save you. And I asked him, I said, have you repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Never an eye twitched. Never a muscle moved except he squeezed my hand ever so faintly. I went back that evening and he was beyond any comprehension whatsoever. And by that time, there were some relatives there and I told them exactly what I'd done. And they said, well, we've not had any communication with him. And before that night was over, he passed into eternity. What hope do you have when you come to that time of appointment because it doesn't matter what you believe every atheist on earth believes half of a verse of the bible they have to it is appointed unto man once to die i don't know about you but i've had some appointments that i've canceled have you like a root canal you didn't want to have even a teeth cleaning that you thought maybe i'll do this on some more convenient day on the i'll call you know there have been some other things I've put off. You know, I just didn't have what it took in my sorriness to do it that time, whatever. But do you know there's an appointment yawning out there for Chris Lamb that I, I will not be able to miss? You can run, you can hide, you can cloak yourself in, in the world's philosophies. You can tell yourself it's not true, that God is not there, that none of this is real. But it is appointed unto man once to die. You can reject that message and and all that I've said this morning, but the question still remains. You have an appointment. And after this, you see, that's the point that we must go by faith in God's revealed word. After all, God knows for sure all the the voices around us are just that. They're just voices. They're fellow people on a sinking ship who know nothing except what they think or feel or what has been revealed to them. Paul said that knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Be ye reconciled to God. 
nor yet that he should offer himself offer, because it is appointed a man once to die, but after this, the judgment. That judgment is coming. is the old song we sang recently, all will be there. Each one receiving justly his due. I used to think in the great day that there will be those who will give the excuses of why they rejected Christ or why they thought they were right. But when, when the Savior is revealed in all of His resplendent glory, every record that we have, anyone on, uh, in the Scripture who stood before the Lord were absolutely speechless. Every mouth will be silenced. There will be no excuses offered because He who is absolutely true and just, and obviously revealed to us, all voices will be silenced. So, Christ was, because it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The greatest message in all the world is that Jesus Christ will take away our sin. I know nothing greater than that because I am one who's been delivered from great sin. I have a right to testify. I know that this is true. Taking away our sin, what a thought. Our sin is ever before us, as David prayed in the 51st Psalm. I cannot, wherever I look, it's written, if I close my eyes, it's engraved on my eyelids. If I, if I go here or there from this far spot to that far spot, Lord, you're there and you bring it before me. Whither shall I go from thy presence? Sin burdens us. Oh, what a cruel taskmaster sin is. It burdens us. Oh, it weighs us down. Uh, it, it weighs upon our consciences. The gift that God has given every person is the conscience that, that, that His law speaks to. And when that conscience, though it may be violated, though it may be seared, it weighs upon that conscience in such a weighty weight. And we cannot deny the weight upon the conscience. Sin destroys it. It kills the soul and it will ultimately crush us. Our sin divides. It divides relationship. When Adam and Eve sinned, they sinned together, but it divided them. They blamed one another. They no longer had that harmony, that, that, that love that, that was un, unsullied by their sin. They were divided and blaming and hiding and cringing. That's what sin does. It divides Abel from Cain. It, it divides... Families, it divides individuals. Sin is a great divider. It divides ourselves and we become double-minded, two-souled, as James says, confused. Sin dominates us. Sin never is satisfied with just a part. It, it will keep on until it takes over the whole. It controls us. Romans 6 tells us, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye who were servants of sin, ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being made free from sin. Ye became servants of righteousness because the wages of sin, the payday for sin, the reward for sin 
is death. Adam and Eve found that out, didn't they? Though they did not know what death was, they soon found out that death separates us from God. That's the ultimate death. There's a a cleavage there. A separation, a cruel gouging of a separation between us and God. It it severs tight cords of love and, and fellowship that are there and it separates us from God. That's why we need to be reconciled. Sin divides and it dominates us. The wages of sin is death. Ultimately, physical death does not end it. The philosophers would tell you that so that you would save your soul with the thought that, well, I'll just die. Or there are those who have the the silly, silly thought that they will just party in hell like one big fraternity party and just be with their their loved ones or, or friends. But the Scripture tells us that place of darkness is absolute aloneness. Set off apart from God and all that is tender and, and good and pure. Alone. Alone. Lost. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus was and is the mediator, the reconciler between God and man. And his work at the cross clears the way. As John the Baptist says, I'm just clearing, make straight the way. Clear the way. Jesus clears the way for fellowship with the Father. There's one mediator, there's one God. Timothy writes, Paul writes to Timothy, and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. In our verse here, in verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That word taketh away in the Greek has the is not just for a limited time. It was not just for those folks listening to John. It wasn't in a, in a limited time, not just for that present audience of John's day, but it's a, in a continuing sense, a continuing work. What Christ did in time, He is doing now and will continue to do throughout the endless ages. And that's why John will later write, for the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It's a continual. It does cleanse. It has cleansed. It is cleansing and will keep on cleansing until we're perfected. In fact, Revelation 13, 8, he is described as the lamb slain when? When was he slain? On Calvary? In the mind of God, he was slain from the foundation of the world. His work is an eternal work, founded in eternity past and continuing into the eternal future. What he did covered and took away and paid for the sin of all from from Adam until the last soul who will believe on him. It is sufficient. It is enough. It is complete. It's comprehensive. It's all-inclusive from Adam. It went back and took care of their sin and it goes forward to take care of the last person who will be born and it will keep on cleansing us from sin throughout eternal ages. Forever we will sing praise and honor to the King who washed away our sins. Peter reminded his hearers on the day of Pentecost of this fact of the eternal lamb who was slain. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, he is laying the charge and the guilt of the death of the Son of God upon his hearers. Him, 
being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Pilate did not turn over Christ to be crucified. He was delivered up by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. In eternity past, the Son, the eternal Son said, I will go. God the Father said, I will call out a people from all nations and tribes, a vast number that no man can number, who will be redeemed. Christ the Son said, but Father, they will fall. They will sin. They will fall. It must be redeemed. And I will go. I will redeem your people. I will go and pay the price, the ransom price for their sin. I will give my life for theirs in exchange for theirs. And I will die in their place to redeem them. And God the Spirit joined in the, the, the transaction, the, the plan that of the eternal God had eternity past and said, I will woo by your word and by all the power of heaven and earth and draw them to the sacrifice of the Son. And bring them to that place of repentance and regenerate them and they will believe. And I will add them to that great number that no man can number who will sing throughout the endless ages. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive honor and riches and power and wisdom and strength. We're going to be in that number one day. We lifted our feeble voices just now to sing His praise. All to us. You've been made all to us one day. We will join in the great grandstands of heaven with the redeemed with perfected voices and sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. He's still taking away sin. He's, his work is in our midst just now by His Word and by His Spirit. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. And I ask you this morning as we close. Is Christ the Lamb of God? And if He is, if Christ is the Lamb of God, the promised Savior, the answer to the sin question, the sin problem, His work is a completed work, an all-sufficient answer for your sin, and He has taken away, He has paid for it. His work has done all that needs to be done for in answer to your sin, the sin of the world, then then why not my sin? If he's taken away the sin of Adam and Eve and Abel and all down through the ages, why not me? If he could save the thief on the cross, surely he could save me. It controls you. It dominates you. It torments torments you, it alienates you, it stands as a blockade between you and God. Why not be brought near to God? Why not be able to call Him Abba, Father? Christ has answered once and for all the sin problem, the sin question, and has become sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Not our righteousness, which is a flimsy, fake, 
man-made righteousness, but the very righteousness of God is put on our account. He took on him the sin of the world. I beseech you, I plead with you, I beg you, those who are overwhelmed by sin under its control, go and read and reread those verses that we read in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Oh, what a picture is painted for us there. Not only is the Lamb of God come to us, praise His name. He's here. His work is still sufficient and is ever sufficient. And not only does the Lamb of God take away our sin, but I want to leave you with this, the third thing. We must behold the Lamb. It's a word of imperative. You must look to Him by faith. Look from your sin and from yourself and your circumstances and look Only to Jesus. No one else. Only to Jesus. Matthew Henry reminds us, He is the Lamb of God that that bears the sin of the world. He bore sin for us and so bears it from us. He bore the sin of many as the scapegoat had the sins of Israel upon his head. Could God have taken away the sin by, or taking away the sinner as he took away the sin of the old world, if that's what he would have done by the flood, he could have done it that way. He could have removed sin by dealing with us, removing us. But in his mercy and his graciousness, he didn't do that. But he has found a way by abolishing the sin and yet sparing the sinner by making his son sin for us. The word behold is to see, to consider, to look toward with attention. Do you understand that that Jesus is the Lord? It is an alarm. This word behold rouses us to, to act. It is an announcement. It calls our attention to the Lamb. He cries from the mercy seat, Look unto me, ye all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. And so we simply say today, look to Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. Paul cries out in Romans chapter 7 when he laments his sin and the the, the sin nature and the tendency to sin and the struggle with sin. He says, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm told that a cruel and horrible punishment in times past in some cultures would for someone who took the life of the other, the murder of the other, that saw at times they would strap that dead body to the person who committed the crime and make them bear that horrible, wretched corpse. And that's what Paul has in mind when he says, who shall deliver me from this body of putridness? It is, it is fused upon me and within me. Who shall deliver me from this horrible thing? And he gives us the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Let us pray. O gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And all of our many words cannot replace the simplicity, the accuracy, the eternality of your word. And so, may it ring in our ears as we leave this place. Behold.
look to the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Oh Lord, we know that our sin has caused a stain that that cannot be removed by philosophy or by ignoring it or by replacing it with our own version, our own righteousness. And we thank you that though we could not pay for our sin and the blood of bulls and goats could not remove it, that the Lamb of God, offered once and for all, has come to remove our sin. I ask you, Lord, by your Spirit to show that to us all, especially to those who have not repented of their sin and believed on you for, that be, to be their Lord and Savior. Would you do that regenerating work in our midst just now? May that one, those ones, those who may be outside of Christ to turn to you in faith just now, believing, receiving the message that Christ will remove our sin and take it far from us. He removes the guilt and the stain and replaces that, that mark, that, that horrible stain with your own righteousness. We praise you for that. Would the Holy Spirit of God make these things clear and plain? Would you give faith to believe just now? Oh, Lord, do that regenerating and saving work that only you can do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.